Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. I, don't, I, I screwed that whole intro up. Usually I don't do my voice like that. And I'm not going to redo it because we're still in the middle of a pandemic, people. And so there's going to be pandemic happenings happening. Uh, I'm super excited today. We have Scott St. Marie. Did I pronounce that correctly? You got it, man. Scott St. Now, is that, is that French? What is that? That is French. And I know it throws people off because it has the E on the end. So people have said like Saint, like Ste Marie. Even people have been like Saint Mary. I'm like, ooh, that's way off, man. Uh, yeah, so middle it. school was tough for you. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Scott? Among other things, the name didn't help yet. <laughs> well, you know, it reminds me of uh, this song called A Boy Named Sue by uh, Johnny Cash. Have you heard of it? Of course. Yeah. Where uh, the, the father names his son Sue because uh, the father knew he wouldn't be there to raise his son. And he, and he knew that the son would have to fight all the time because his name was Sue and it would make him tough. Uh, and, and that's exactly what happened. His son became tough. Um, did you get into a lot of fights over your name? Uh, what if we, you want to sing, uh, why don't we sing that song for the audience? Yeah. I actually I, forget how it goes. I forget how it goes too. So by, I see you got two guitars, you got three guitars behind you. If, I mean, you know, this would be a first, uh, could try it. I know that the, that recording was like, it, it sounded live cause they had like the audience reaction in the song too. And like laughter, I think like that was the, the way it was released. But man, oh Johnny, gosh, it, it's been a while since I listened to Johnny. Remember when the what was the was it called Walk the Line came yeah, out? The that movie. movie. Yeah. And then everyone in high school just went like hardcore with Johnny Cash. Like, yeah, I've been listening to him for like years, man. I'm like, no, you haven't, dude. You saw Joaquin Phoenix do some shit, and now look at you jumping on the wagon. <laughs> Oh man, I was so proud. I, I, I was on the, I was on the wagon also. I was so proud that I was listening to Johnny Cash and bragging about it. Yeah. Uh, of course, my boys in the hood they didn't. They was like, "What? What are you talking about?" But yeah, I I, I definitely went through that Johnny Cash phase. <laughs> I even to the extent that I was like, "I want to drive a tractor." I don't know if you remember that scene in the movie where like uh, there things like Thanksgiving and they're sitting at the dinner table and the father's yelling. Uh, said something that really upset Johnny, and he goes into the backyard and drives the tractor into the, the ravine or something like that. That's probably like the best outlet if you're ever going through a tough time. We can talk about you know tools for your emotional well-being. I know you got tons, but if people have the disposable income to get yourself a nice tractor, get a ravine, woo, that gets the stress out, eh? I, I love it. And speaking of tools, you know, because you're a personal coach and a keynote speaker and, and the things that you are keynote speaking on typically are about depression and anxiety because uh, you yourself have struggled and probably still struggling with it to some extent, I would imagine, both depression and anxiety. Um, were you aware early on that that is what you were struggling through or did you like think you were crazy? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say that's, it's really complicated when you, it depends on the individual. When you ask them like, uh, let's say you say you've resolved or gotten through a period of depression in your life, but I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety or social phobia. 
And then you ask yourself, okay, like I've been through the thick of it, but I'm still prone to low moods, right? But I don't go as deep and dark as before. So then you kind of ask yourself, well, do I still like have depression? Do I still have anxiety? What's the language I want to use around that to make myself feel as authentic as possible? And I haven't figured that out yet, to be honest. I don't know how to relate to these diagnoses and in, in my own emotions, but in that way, um, I'm not a huge fan uh, personally of, of the labels given out like candy a little bit, but for a lot of people, it helps them make sense of kind of what's going on to a degree. For me, whether I knew, I didn't know it was depression. All I knew, I remember saying to my roommate at the time, I'm like, something's not right. Like just something's not right, man. Like why? Like, I, I don't have an appetite. Why? Why can't I eat? This has never happened before, and like nothing happened. Like I, what did I do wrong? I don't know. Uh, and I just like get out of bed. Like why can't I get out of bed? What? This is so new. What is this? So it's weird how since I didn't label it as depression or like mental illness, I didn't. It was like ignorance is bliss in a way where. I didn't know that stigma was a thing. I was like, I just talked about it to my buddy. I wasn't like fearful of what he would think. I just, I just knew something was wrong and I'm like, let's talk about it. So right away, I was like, okay, uh, counseling's a thing. Okay, let's go see what, let's see what a stranger has to say. And then maybe I can open up and, and get through some stuff. And uh, to be honest, that in the moment, that didn't help at all. Now that I think about it, that didn't help at all. Um, we can go down that long story. What really helped me make sense of what was happening was years down the road, years and years and years down the road. I was put on psychiatric medication, uh, which did help me get through that uh, straight up. But it took me years down the road to figure out what my body was telling me that I didn't necessarily listen to. People didn't help me make sense of that from like a real holistic level and personal level. I was communicated that it's depression, you're mentally ill, your brain's broken. Uh, sorry, this is just something that you, you're kind of born with, man. Here's the medication. And that was kind of the story. It took me years to kind of put pieces together and, and kind of get to know myself on a deeper level. Yeah, you, you talked about experiencing depression in terms of why can't I get out of bed? Uh, why do I not have an appetite? Were there other signs of depression uh, looking back? And how did that differ than uh, the experience of anxiety? Mm. Those things are like peanut butter and jam usually. Like a lot of people, oh, it's so tough because you don't know what to do. It's like, I want to calm down because I'm anxious. But if I calm down too much, I just get more depressed. I want, I'm so depressed. I want to get excited, get my blood moving, exercise. But then that makes me anxious with heart palpitations. Oh, my God. How do I win? So both, it was definitely a combo. And when, when depression like first hit me, it wasn't the, the worst that that ever happened to me. It definitely wasn't the worst. Things got worse later on um, for a few reasons. But, you know, when people describe depression, I think we have to be careful. No, it's completely up to the individual. But I hear people describe it in a lot of different ways, like a lot of different ways. 
people call it like a weighted blanket, you know, people call it this, like the saturation has been turned down in your life and everything's black and white, or it's the black dog following you. People have all sorts of metaphors and you know how hard it is to describe a damn feeling. It's like, it, it can't be described. It's a feeling. That's why Johnny Cash did what he did. He's like, how can I communicate to the world what's going on in my life? Let's talk about a boy named Sue and kind of communicate a feeling of the human condition to the listener. It's profoundly complicated. That's why music exists. So to try to describe a feeling like depression or anxiety and compare them is really difficult for people, which is why art therapy for kids is so cool. But for me, depression at its worst you know, if, if you kill yourself because you have a weighted blanket over you, that feeling, I, I don't think people kill themselves because the world's black and white and you got a weighted blanket. For me, depression is the feeling that you wake up in the morning and you first realize that your whole family's dead. That's the feeling for me. That's why I think people take their own life because that pain is so unbearable that you're completely alone. Everyone and everything that you loved is gone and you don't know how to make sense of what just happened. And it's like waking up every single morning, getting that same phone call from someone saying, Hey Scott, hi, good morning. Hi, everyone you know and love is dead. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. And then you do go through the day with that sense of grieving. You wake up the next day, same phone call. Go through that day, the sense of grieving and loss and despair and hopelessness, pointlessness of living, and you go to bed and you dread waking up the next day because you know that phone call is coming. That's how I describe depression to people. So the conversation around deep depression can maybe change. Maybe it could add some more community and extreme compassion and non-judgment and empathy to those really fighting to just exist because man is existence just existing alone in that state is so heavy is so absolutely terrifying that i'm amazed when i meet people and they tell me their experiences i'm like and you went to work like that and you had that conversation with a colleague and you made sales that day bro Holy jeez, you are my hero. That is unbelievable strength. There's warriors out there and all they want is the pain to go away. And yet there's something within people that I try to think of myself, like, why didn't I kill myself? Like, seriously, like why, what is it within people that, that little shred of of hope, that shred of possibility, that little light of a, a possible future that still exists. I don't know, but it's amazing what people go through and they transcend some part of human suffering that is depression, that is anxiety. It amazes me to the core, man. And I guess that's why I do what I do from my lived experience, knowing that feeling. And then as a personal coach, I never thought I'd call myself that, but all I really say to people is like, I'll, I'll walk with you. I don't, I don't treat anybody. I'm not qualified for that. I listen to people non-judgmentally and we find understanding in each other and they find relief in that. 
And there's healing in that. There's healing in that community connection. And you know that from what you do with your coaching, Leo. It's like you see people just, well, the way I'm leaning over, you see people go from this to this, you know, just like, okay, okay, this guy gets it though. He gets it. Okay. I can walk with this person now. I got somebody on my journey. I can be held for a little while while I need to move, you know? And I think that's a big part of coaching, you know, the therapeutic experience. They say it's not necessarily just about the tools. The biggest part is the relationship you have with the person. That's where a lot of healing begins. Is this, does this therapist understand this shit? Does she or he really know? And that's the, that's the great part about adding meaning to my suffering at this point in my life. I've had the opportunity to, to help others through what I've gone through. I guess that's a big part of how I got through it. It's like, okay, let's imagine a future where I can help others alleviate some sort of pain if I get through it. You have siblings? Uh, four of them. Wow. And where do you fall in that, uh, you know, in, in the, out of the four? Yeah, I'm the, so it's uh, three older brothers and then a younger sister. So I'm the youngest of the brothers. Wow. Yeah. So that could go one of two ways, right? Where you're the youngest, so you're getting picked on or the youngest and you're being coddled. Was, uh, was it, which one was it? Or was it, am I completely off on both? No, like we could, there's a bunch of in-betweens in that spectrum. And I'd be totally honest with you if I, my family was ever dysfunctional, if we bullied each other, or picked on each other. But man, we all got along. No one coddled anybody. We were all there for each other. Uh, when I first was dealing with depression, I talked to all my brothers. My sister was there for me. My parents were completely accepting and open to helping me. It, uh, it was a utopian family and upbringing, which when at the first experience of reality going sour and real pain coming in, you're like, oh, well, this is all new. Sometimes a childhood's up, or a, a child's upbringing can be too good where you're not faced with the terrors and horrors of the world and it's been so safe, which is great. But when real challenge hits, when real emotions hit, when, when real suffering hits, it's a very new experience. And that's why I love working with, with children and doing the talks I do to schools because we talk about some tools and we talk about, hey, what you see on social media, man, welcome to like 0.01% of life. Let's talk about some hard stuff for a bit. Let's have some fun, but let's talk about some difficult stuff that you're probably going to encounter in your life. And let's make sure you're like ready and resilient and, and prepared. So in that family dynamic, I think I fit in beautifully and we're all super close. My family, we all live, uh, my brother lives in Vancouver, but my other ones and my sister live in Toronto with me. And uh, we're always open to sharing the difficult and tough times with one another. So did you feel safe enough to sh immediately share the depression, the anxiety, and uh, what other mental suffering that you were experiencing with your parents? Or was there a bit of uh, uh, shame or, you know, hiding with that? There was, excuse me, there was no 
oh my gosh, of course there was shame, but more confusion. So it, it's hard to make sense of, of depression when there wasn't a significant experience that led to it in rather a short time frame. Right? So like, that's what I kept asking. Like, what happened? What did I do wrong? What was going on? Why this, this signal from my body to completely shut down? Like, what happened? And so that is where the, I think the shame came from. And that's where a lot of shame comes from with, with mental illness. Because think about it. So there's a campaign in Canada uh, called Mental Health is Health. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. We're trying to get the awareness out, make, make it simple for people. And when people talk about mental illness, they're like, it should be treated just like physical illness. You got a broken arm, you go to the doctor. You, got, you feel down, you feel depressed, go see someone, go talk to someone. And I'm like, yes, but, but it's so much more complicated than it's so much more complicated. You go to a doctor in the US, Canada, the UK, and Australia with a broken arm, pretty solid uh, experience. Put on the cast, six weeks, you're good to go. Same treatment. Doesn't really matter if you got some schmuck doctor or some really experienced one. Treatment's kind of the same, right? One treats you like an asshole, they'll still put the cast on. Other one's really nice and empathetic, they'll still put the cast on. Now, when we talk about mental illness and going through a difficult time, you're first of all dealing with someone so vulnerable, so vulnerable that like you need to hold someone so gently as they come into a therapist's office, into a doctor's office, into a merge. And it differs so much from hospital to hospital, from therapist to therapist. Yes, to anyone, you know, they've had terrible doctors treat them and then amazing doctors treat them. Great therapists, terrible therapists, right? So when we think of these campaigns that go on with like mental health as health and trying to settle some confusion, especially within me at the time when I was going through a difficult time, you go to a bunch of different doctors for your mental health and emotional well-being, you're going to get a different answer from all of them. That's what's confusing for people. So they want to get help. They want to eliminate the pain. There's so many options for them, which makes them a little more confused. You go to a psychiatrist. Okay, well, it's a chemical imbalance. Your brain's unbalanced. Let me give you some Prozac, some citalopram, uh, some Lexapro. Okay. I'll go to a psychologist. Oh, gee, oh, that's $250 an hour in Canada. It's only covered for six sessions under benefits plans. I have no benefits, but I'm going to fork out the cash. Okay, but that means uh, maybe it's all CBT and I'm going to go back to my childhood. That's why I'm depressed because I had a rough childhood. Okay, okay. So we got psychiatrist meds, but psychologist, it's about my childhood. I'm going to go to a naturopathic doctor. Oh, it's because my magnesium levels are too low. Oh, it's because I need some 5-HTP. Oh, it's because I need some B12s. My thyroid's all out of whack. Oh, it's a leaky gut issue. So depending who you go to, you have a different problem to solve. So it's really mental health is health. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a stigma part when we talk about this. But I just feel for people because I went through the same thing. I feel for people because in a state of vulnerability where you really need understanding and help and someone to settle the confusion for you, we're in a, in a, in a culture now where it's 
it's, you can't blame it because it's so complicated. Depression, let's say, is different for everybody. Maybe it is the childhood thing. Maybe it is the nutritional imbalances. Maybe you do need some medication, but it's just which way to go is very confusing. And for me, I was like, which way do I go? I don't know enough. So you have to put your trust into another human being, your full trust. And that's difficult to do in, in, in a state of depression. So you just go with it and you hope for the best, right? So where did you start? You know, I, I know that you said you were able to talk to your parents and, um, but was there another step before you talked to your parents? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the step one was to talk to some friends and I had a roommate at the time and a few people on my university floor, they were so understanding and helpful. So we got a counseling appointment, went to the counselor and listened. And he's like, you know, there's a great website called stoppingthoughts.com. I'd really recommend you to go there. All right. See you, Scott. I'm like, Oh shit, that was it. All right. That's free therapy on campus for you. So that wasn't useful. And that was like my first experience talking to someone who's quote unquote trained and, and has a degree in this field, which goes to show you like a, a lot of, of people dealing with these issues. Like the big part is, is understanding and trust. And that's, that's huge. So in that instance, I'm just like, oh my gosh. So if this is what therapy is, I'm really what's the big deal here? This doesn't seem like all it could be or all it's advertised to be. Shoot. So that was step two. Step three was talk to my parents. Then step four, I saw a psychiatrist and uh, all well-intentioned. You know, people, There's not one doctor out there, one therapist who gets into it thinking that I don't want to do a good job and help people. Never come. Like, pff, who's going to do that? They all are so well-intentioned. But unfortunately, this one, like, again, at the time, I was so vulnerable, I wanted relief. But he, he barely asked me questions as to why he barely dug in just a little bit, like just enough gently, just gently. He never, you know, I, I just did a talk today with university students. And they're like, if you could talk to yourself back then, Scott, what would you want? What, what would you have wanted someone to tell you? And I honestly would have wanted someone to tell me that it's okay to feel how you're feeling and that what you're experiencing is kind of normal given the circumstances. Whoa, that would have made me like calm down. That would have made me chill out a bit and accept my emotions for what they are, not trying to fix, not trying to run away. Um, so this psychiatrist put me on medication right away. And uh, it was a 12 year journey with that that medication. So one doctor can, can, and I work with people who want to get off medication or, or, you know, all kinds of different stories. One doctor can change the course of a life with one prescription. And are you still taking meds now? No. And that's how, been, that's been the, that's been my latest journey of a lifetime. So what was your process in weaning yourself off drugs is that, or, or off medication? So it, it, there was basically a nutritional protocol for the year before. Uh, so no sugar, no dairy, no gluten, like, uh, and no caffeine. Um, 
So that was a huge part for the year upcoming before I got off medication, although there was beautiful cheat days. Um, and long story short, I didn't wean off as long as I was supposed to. But the withdrawal happened, but it wasn't as bad as I, as I thought. Like I, I definitely, oh man, there was like, there was sleepless nights, there was akathisia, there was nerve pain, there was all of that. But I did a really great job with a neuroscientist friend of mine, shout out to Matt Janes, and uh, we did some great supplementing. My exercise was on point. Um, sleep was great. I was in a healthy relationship and, um, and things were going well. Unfortunately, they were going so unbelievably well that I burnt out. After being on YouTube for eight years and also holding full-time jobs and also coaching and also doing all that, and then I came out with this online course for people dealing with anxiety, and I did so much work within a period during COVID, and it all just, just on top of me completely, real like clinical burnout mixed with SSRI withdrawal, which... Uh, the effects can take, you know, two, three years to subside um, when you're on a, a high dose like I was. Um, so there's a lot of nerve pain that I experienced over the last year. There was a lot of um, muscle aches, pains, headaches. Uh, that's one piece of it. Rib cage pain, uh, heart palpitations, um, low energy depression again. Um, it got so unbelievably dark, so unbelievably dark in the Canadian winter in isolation, going through COVID, uh, going through COVID and SSRI withdrawal, yo, and going through a breakup and leaving and losing my, my home in Toronto due to this breakup and going through burnout for my job. So I'm not ready to talk about specific details yet. I hope you don't mind, but you know, it's been uh, the biggest chapter in my life by far, by far. You talked about the exercise, uh, if you don't mind delving a little bit into that, because I think that's an aspect of withdrawal that um, I don't really hear much about. And I think also what's interesting is I didn't realize it takes, you know, a few years to uh, wean you know, for the withdrawal symptoms to subside from the SSRIs. Uh, and I, I was like you said, it depends on the amount of dosage you were taking beforehand. But what was the exercise protocol for, for why you were going through withdrawal? What was the, what was the philosophy? The so withdrawal, completely different for so like for everybody, completely different, man. Like some you're good after, after three weeks, you know, and it's done, it's over. Uh, I know a lot of people who are on them for years, just as long as I was and boom, wean off. I'm good to go. I'm like, sweet me, something completely different, but burnout had a lot to do with that. The exercise, <laughs> the exercise protocol was P90X baby. You remember P90X? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, I just went, I was so excited being off of medication. It was, I was just ready. And I had Dr. Kelly Brogan on my podcast. I don't know if you know her. And she said such like, such a thing that hit so true to me. It's like people 
are just ready when they're ready. You can't force anybody. You just feel it. And that can happen with medication. That can happen with quitting a job. That can happen with moving countries. That can happen with starting a podcast. You just feel within your body. It's not a cognitive thing. You just feel like I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to get off medication. I think I, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. So I was excited knowing that and knowing that I stacked up all my tools and I'm like, all right, over the last 12 years, I've learned a lot of stuff. So I got a toolbox. I got supports. I got a partner. I got a job. Money's coming. Nothing to worry about. Isolation. I don't have to do talks in person. So even if I have panic attacks, I don't got to go out. Cool, cool, cool. It seemed like a beautiful environment for, for this kind of experience. And it was. I just went so hardcore with it. Uh, exercise an hour and a half every day, hardcore. Supplements, hard. Like I was up at 5 a.m., reading the, what was his name, Robin Sharma or something, the 5 a.m. club. I started that. I'm like, let's get up at 5 a.m. Let's do the hour and a half workout. Let's go for jogs. Now I'm going to meditate a half hour a day. I'm going to do this. And like, it was so heavy, not to mention building my anxiety course at the same time. I stacked so many things on top of each other. And then the weight of it all just just collapsed. It was just too much, man. And, uh, it's been, and I don't regret it at all because if it wasn't for all that, I wouldn't have hit this, uh, different kind of place I'm in. Yeah. I think that's something that is not talked about often enough is self-help burnout where you're doing so many things to take care of yourself that it becomes stressful, you know, going for, I remember one day I went from like, I drove to my masseuse and then to my acupuncturist and then to my <laughs> chiropractor and then uh, to gym and, you know, just trying to squeeze all these uh, positive vibes in. And, uh, and at the end of that, I was like, that was exhausting. Like I need, like I need to do it all over again to recover from what I just, you know, just yeah. did. And, and so what is your, do you have a daily routine now or are you still in a, in the process of figuring that out? Like, do you have a morning routine or a bedtime routine? Right. Um, so along with all the burnout and nerve pain and all of akathisia and, uh, and incredibly vivid thoughts and dreams, uh, I, I had an injury back in July and there's herniated discs in my, in my neck and low back. And because of this, even while I have to tiptoe when I walk, because the, the pain to the head, it feels like your brain, it feels like you have a concussion. Your brain is hitting your skull every, like, if I just do this, like a little shake, it's just like, boom, 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 boom. Um, so that allowed me for the last seven months, I haven't exercised. I can only walk slowly. So hot damn, I'm going through withdrawal. The exercise is the ultimate antidepressant. So listen, like, it's like the ground was just freaking pulled from under me. It's like, I, what can I possibly do now? It was reality just, it was like a sign that it's like, all right, man, let's slow on down then. It's time to really slow down as much as possible. So I have this wonderful um, Buddhist counselor who's walking me through, bless you, 
good call on the mute on that sneeze. That was quick, man. <laughs> Everyone, if you're watching or listening, you did you click that mute before that sneeze? <laughs> so maybe that's that's what it felt like. It was like it's time to it's time to slow down hardcore. So I'm working with this counselor. Um, and she's Buddhist and she's, she's helped me a lot with this idea of, of not, you know, this help self-help you're talking about. We're chasing feeling good, like acupuncture. I got to get the masseuse. I got to journal. I got to do the gratitude. Got to do the meditation. Got to go for the nature walk. Forest bathing is supposed to be good for you. Got to read the self-help stuff. And I did that for like 12 years. I read every self-help book known to man. Took me a while to realize like why I was doing it. I kept looking for an answer. Like if I just know one more thing about the stuff that should make you happy, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be enough. Then I'll be good. And you realize that like it's there all along. You don't need to read anything. Once you read, first of all, once you read one fucking self-help book, you've read 50. So that's one thing. <laughs> second, second thing is uh, in, my, in the last year, I'm seeking wisdom more than self-help gurus. And wisdom you find from old people. You find from people that have been through things in life. I was even thinking of doing a podcast called like Elders, where you just interview old people. I think that'd be a passionate, that's a passion project for sure. So that was part of my healing as well and, and consistent healing too. As far as routines, man, uh, for the last six months, it was just like, do everything slow. Everything in during the day, do it intentionally, mindfully, painfully slowly. Like it, I had to painfully slowly. That's so different from me because man, even when it was like depression, I'm like, okay, what do I got to do? What book do I got to read? What counselor do I got to find? What supplements can I take? What diet should I change? What song should I play on the guitar to make me feel better? What movies can I watch on Netflix to create some nostalgic place within me when I was a child and happy? What else do I got to do? But the, the hard part, the most difficult part, I think, of, of being human is to sit with these things in contemplation, to go to the dark parts, to maybe do some of that shadow work, to realize that, oh, maybe Scott isn't all good and well-intentioned. Maybe there's part of Scott that is an asshole. Maybe there's part of Scott that doesn't want to get better from depression because it brought him an audience and attention. Maybe there's part of Scott that goes on Facebook, sees a pregnant woman and says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Maybe there's all of these parts in within Scott, around Scott that make up me that I have to come to terms with in silence, in stillness through the past six months. And that's been the most rewarding and difficult work of my entire life. And that's what I think would be really beneficial for people to know is this, is this getting to know the whole you and being compassionate towards each and every part of that but we consistently want to change who we are. We want to, we want to chase different things. We want to self-improve to a fault. And I'm so guilty of that. And I lost myself in that process. So you read all this stuff of people telling you what to do, who you are, how to achieve X, how to maintain X, how to achieve Y. And 
I think a lot of people, and me included, we, we, we lose ourselves in the process. It's like, how can we get back to who we are? And for me, I'm doing that by doing things very, very slowly. I love that last statement. How do we get back to who we are? Uh, I, I find that I, it comes up when I journal, getting back to my needs, to my wants, uh, to the simplicity of things. You know, uh, mm. a lot of times I'm, I find myself reaching for things externally. And then I realize, oh, I just needed a nap. Or I just, I just needed to sit with myself for just a few moments. You know, yeah. I didn't eat the food or the snacks or to call anybody or to go do a thing. I just had to sit down and just let things settle down and, and then move from there. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I have a question for you. Like, please when, go ahead. When do, when do you come up with your material? When does that happen for you? Material for the podcast or comedy? Uh, what are you referring to? Either one. Either one. It, all of it is the answer, honestly. Um, sometimes I'll come up with something when I'm talking to someone and, you know, mm. we're just having a conversation and then they spark an idea or I say something. I go, oh, like even today I was talking to my therapist. And there was something I said, and I was like, oh, I love the way I said that, so I wrote it down. Um, and then sometimes the uh, material comes to me from just sitting down and intentionally just start writing and just seeing what comes up. Mm -hmm. um, another way it comes up is when I uh, go for a walk, and I'm just kind of, you know, encouraging myself to, to see what else is there. Like maybe I had an idea of something and I was like, I like that. I like where it's going. I feel like there's something else there. Let's go for a walk and see what else comes up uh, for me. So, right. you know, it's just, you know, watching a movie, uh, listening to a podcast, um, just everything, you know, cooking, working out, um, listening to the new, like it, everything to me, all of it is a source of uh, inspiration. And I think that like, that's not uncommon, but it's cool to hear you say that, that with, with create, with creative, with creative projects and what you do with comedy, it's pure creation. It's pure art, man. And that like, I always say to people, and it's so cool to talk to you because I think like stand-up comedy is the hardest job on the planet, not labor wise. Like I know there's people in Alberta working on the oil fields. That's tough work, but like, it blows my mind that a job is to stand on a stage, have a microphone with a freaking amp, and you have to create an emotion for people in the room as involuntary as laughter. That is unbelievable, man. It's magic. It's magic that you can create that emotion in another human being. So we think of like motivational speakers, how they're amazing. Oh, that's bullshit. That's like, come on to motivate someone. That's we can, we can, we can kind of create that from thinking, from just writing down what would make people feel jolted and riled up. Here we go with comedy. 
there's like such a different art to it. There's such a, there's such an art of not trying with, with when I saw your videos and stuff, it's like you write your material, but you say you start writing something and you're maybe intentional, but then you go for a walk or you say something with your therapist. We're always taught to like focus, focus, focus with art. You let your mind wander. Some subconscious part takes over. You give yourself a little bit of space and that's like beauty comes from that, whether it's a joke, whether that's material for a podcast, at least for me, that's how I work. It's like when I just, it's like writer's block and you just get into something and it's not going anywhere, you go take a walk, let go, forget about it. That's when the, the pure essence of like me comes out. It's like Einstein, when he's working on all these funky theories, he would take a seat with a uh, pool ball right? You know this. And he takes a nap and right before he's going to doze off, the ball drops on the floor and he's like, Oh, he fell asleep for a second. And there's the idea. You let the subconscious take over. You sleep on an idea, you sleep on an idea and, and you'll wake up with something fresh. And I think as like a society, when it comes to mental health too, in a culture, there's so much of doing like, let's do this. Let's do the self-care. Let's do this. Let's do the therapy. Let's do what's good for us and all well-intentioned and really useful. But for me, there came a limit. Like you're doing enough. Ooh. I was like, really? Yeah. Like that's enough. You got enough tools, man. When is enough going to be enough? You've had, you've read enough books. The knowledge is there. But when we read and we know the knowledge is completely different from how you embody these things. And there's felt senses that I ignored for so long and that people tend to ignore. It's like, yeah, you're good with the thoughts. Anxious people know the thoughts. CBT is fantastic. You switch those, you reframe them. We're great at that. But here, ooh, man, that's a tough one. That's where my work uh, is and was really lacking the felt senses of emotion and pure acceptance and compassion for all of me, not just the good parts. Right. Oh man. I resonate with that so much because I've slowly weaned myself off of self-help books. You can't just go cold church. Dude, man. it's the, such the a withdrawal, weed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The withdrawal is, it's, it's tough. It's drastic, man. <laughs> it's a plane crash. You don't want to do that. You got, you yeah. got, <laughs> you got to slowly yeah. ease your way off. And, you know, because I, I read a quote somewhere that said, every book is a self-help book. And it's true because I've never read a book, what, no matter what it was about, whether it was about uh, a maintenance, a how-to book, or, um, you know, uh, fiction, Anna Karenina, or, um, you know, Moby Dick. I've yeah. got, I get something from everything that I read, even if it's a blog post, a tweet, like everything that I read, uh, I can alchemize in some way to benefit me, uh, to incorporate into my ethos. I don't even know if ethos is the right word, but anyway. Um, and so now I'm reading fiction and there's so much knowledge in fiction and you get to see how people really respond, uh, fiction and memoirs. Oh man. Memoirs. That's my new drug of choice. Memoirs oh, I didn't go there yet. And I tell you why, okay. because in memoirs and uh, biographies, we're getting the 360, right? Um, you're getting a, the, getting, you're, you're, people are not giving you step one, step two, step three, 
here are the five ways, here are the 10, you know, they're just sharing their experiences, the ups and downs, the lefts right. and the rights, the, the shades of gray, the struggles, the internal and external conflicts. And you, you're, you're, you're reading about people who are going through so much, like you said, you know, you're going through a breakup, you're in the middle of COVID, uh, you know, you're, you're withdrawing off meds and still finding a way to peel off that weighted blanket, right? Mm -hmm. To get yourself out of bed and you're still going forward or you're, you're still doing, you're doing something. You're, you're not, you're not calling it quits. You're not throwing in a towel. You're, you're finding a thing to, to move you forward and, uh, an experience to be had. And that doesn't mean moving forward. doesn't mean you cross some finish line and it's a happy ending. It just means that you, you, you're, Every day you are refinding your purpose because that, that can change from the, the totally. thing that got me out of bed today is not the thing that's going to get me out of bed tomorrow or the following day. It's, it's all a new day. So right. um, I, I don't even know where, where I was going with all of this. But, you know, to, to sum up your point, though, what you were talking about earlier in terms of the creativity, what I realized in, 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 in three words, it's about engaging and releasing and i think that like you said everybody's so good at doing 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 or engaging engaging and going 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 but we're horrible at releasing letting mm. go relaxing and i you know for me a, a perfect example is i used to think that going to the movies was a way to relax yes yeah. and no it was really more yeah. of a distraction because it didn't allow my brain to settle down it didn't yeah. get me out of that fight or flight. Movies are not there to be soothing and calming. It's there to ratchet up the anxiety. Yeah. And, um, and so once I realized that, I was like, wow, oh, go to the beach, play in the sand, let the, yeah. let the walk, taking some fractals. So yeah. it's about finding those, those ways of releasing that are nurturing so that you can feel recharged and refreshed so that you can come back and engage. Well, you said two really cool things, well, a lot of cool things. One is, I think a lot of people don't realize that they need to think about what is good for relaxing them. Like that takes work. Like relaxation takes work, like in a different way, right? So you said like, everyone thinks that the thing to do to chill is to watch Netflix and chill. Like that's just a thing. You get to relax and you watch stuff. But if you really think about it as you did mindfully, it's like, okay, you know what? Like, I don't feel any calmer after the movie. This, I thought this is a cultural thing. This is what we do to relax. This is what people do, but it's not working for me. Out of any behavior change needs to come pure self-awareness and compassion. And by you saying that, it's like, boom, there's some self-awareness right there. Like we, a lot of people think they're self-aware until you ask them some questions and they're like, oh, shoot. Didn't know I was doing that to myself. All right, let's go back to square one to the lab. So I think a lot of people underestimate that you need to do some work to figure out what relaxes you. And the, the other thing that I want to mention is you talked about every book is a self-help book, which is so cool that you're reading fiction. I'm doing the exact same thing, man. I quit self-help books in, uh, after the 5 a.m. club. Uh, again, once you read one, you read them all, but the memoir comparison is really cool because think about the coaching you do. Think about your work. Think about my work. Like you just said, you 
had an appointment with your therapist. I just said, life's not the best right now for me. <laughs> I'm going through some withdrawal shit. I got stuff going on, man. Okay. So with those two realities here, the audacity and pretentiousness for us to coach other people Hmm, interesting. But here's what makes it so fresh because it's so human. If you look at the self-help books and things like that, there's the, for my personal perspective, there's a lack of authenticity. I don't see the person writing the book that much. I see the facts, I see the knowledge, and I see the person who has figured out life. They see, they have it all figured out, man. So there's a, again, we talk about trust. There's just a lack of connection between that. How can they relate when they're so far out that they're like some perfect human being, an entity? Like, I can't, I can't vibe with that, man. I can't vibe with that. And I think what makes my work and your work uh, similar and different at the same time is like people come to me because they hear my story they know I haven't figured it out yet. They know I still suck. They know that suckiness of life is part of life. And Scott's figuring stuff out and he knows a lot about this and he's working on this. He can offer this. We can connect about this. Like that's what life is. It's the deadliest condition of all. <laughs> it's, the human condition does not have a good survival rate. So when I talk about you know, connecting with other people. Let's talk about how we all struggle. Let's talk about how I don't have it figured out. Let's talk about how I had a plan and it really failed. Let's talk about how my grandma doesn't recognize me anymore because of Alzheimer's and dementia. Let's talk about how that makes me feel. Let's talk about how, man, sometimes I don't even know about my job and the podcast. Let's talk about how I'm a little nervous right now because I don't know about posting this even though it's a great conversation, I'm like, oh, geez, how about that? Let's talk about the uncertainty of our decisions in our life. Let's talk about all of that. And then let's solidify some things that, that I actually know about that have grounded me, the tools that I know work and how I can help other people and walk with them through that. I think that's the difference. It's like, coaching and offering your humanity at the same time as offering some incredible and useful tools. That's a killer combination right there. And I think when we talk about self-help and these gurus and motivational speakers, like I was sold for a long time and some are great, like some are fantastic. Of course, we can't put them all in the same basket, but then others, I just don't see an authentic human being or i don't see an authentic human experience being communicated and that's i think what we're all after why do you think people follow these vloggers on youtube constantly it's like they just want to see someone else live in life and they're complaining and they're getting ice cream and they spilt it and they swore at the clerk and they're mad they're in a mercedes but they still hate their life they're like all right we got something in common here so people love just that connection and someone vulnerable, able to walk through this journey with them. I think it's intimidating when someone dealing with depression or anxiety is seeing someone who, who seems to have it all figured out. I think that, I don't think that's what, that's not what I wanted. And that's not what I would want right now. 
people want wisdom and, and knowledge from experience and embodiment. They don't want someone who's just read a bunch of books and tells you what to do. You can see, people see through that, man. Like I see through that. People saw it through me when I was doing like talks and I just didn't know what I was doing yet. And it was new and I was trying to like impress and be this motivational Tony Robbins guy. People saw through that. They do. And people are really good at feeling that energy out and feeling that awkwardness or lack of authenticity. But when people find it, they, they know it's there. Maybe you don't, can't even label it. You just know like, oh, this, this is a real dude. He, he's a real guy. But what, uh, what are you reading right now? I am reading um, a book called Monsoon. It's about the, my Kobo here. No, uh, it's about the uh, East Indian trading company back in like the 1400s. Man, we got pirates. We got thieves. We got unprotected sex. We got, we got all sorts of stuff in this book. It's, it's so good. But I'm such a slow reader. Nonfiction, you just boom, 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 boom. Fiction, I'm like, oh, I'll space out and I got to go back. It's like, okay, what happened? Like, oh, that's a new character. Oh my God. How'd I miss that? So uh, that's what I'm reading. What about you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm reading Anna Karenina na, 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 um, <laughs> in the physical form. And then I'm listening to Shantaram. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. Shantaram. No, what's that about? Um, it's, it's a 42-hour audio book. And it's Jeez, about the Bible. Fugitive. Yeah, it's it's a it's a guy who's a fugitive. He just uh, escaped uh, prison on robbery. I'm not giving anything away. And um, he escaped prison, and now he's hanging out in India. And oh. I, I'm I'm only like uh, seven hours in, but it's fascinating because, and I recommend the audio version because the narrator does all the accents. Mm. He is in. Incredible. That's awesome. Uh, and you know, we you were talking about slowing down. I usually listen to books at 2x. 1.5 to it drives my girlfriend crazy. She's like, I don't yeah. understand how because sometimes we'll be in a car and I'll put the podcast on at 2x. Um, this book one at I'm playing it at the regular speed. Like I'm savoring every sentence, every moment, every like you I feel like I'm in India when I'm listening to this. Mm. Uh, it's a powerful book and it's, it's one that like for people who backpack through India, uh, it's, it was like a highly recommended book to read. I don't oh, even know awesome. how many pages 42 hours translates into, but, um, wow. How does it feel when you're going from, you said you're weaning off, but like, so you're on the slowing down little phase two now, listen to the book at one, whatever, as they say, one times with regular speed, like is, is there things, are there things going through your mind? Like, like kind of like, let's go, let's get this going. Or, or is there some resistance towards it? Or you want to kind of rush somewhere else? Or are you kind of feeling like this is what it is? I'm doing it. How do you feel now? You know, it's, it's always going to be both. And, uh, and it's going to flop, you know, 80, 20, where they're, they're um, usually, so with the fiction, I realize it best serves me at night that's when i need my anna karenna na, 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 na. um yeah. it's it's soothing it's company uh it, it's there's something comforting about it um during the day i that's when i tend to listen to more uh academic or 
self-helpy or practical things. Like, cause my brain is going during the day. Yeah. Um, and then I will, my release though, would be meditation or going to the beach. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. Like once you figure out your circadian rhythm is the word I'm going to use for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. but like to go with the flow of where your energy is. Yeah. For me to read Anna Karenina at 10 a.m., like my brand, I'm just going to be thinking about other stuff I got to do. It doesn't yeah. work for me at that time. But after the work is done, I had dinner. Michelle and I hung out. Um, you know, things have settled down. Now I can now I can cozy up with the book and and chill and let that tuck me in. Um, versus, it's a big part. Like uh, for me, I never used the word energy in my entire like within the last. Well, I'm 31, so 30 years, never using it. But the last like year, ooh, I'm really understanding this part within me that you really need to be mindful of and pay attention to. Like, come on, man. Like the world functions with this and these. This, this, is, this is the world, right? You know what I mean? Like, and, and so many jobs are like that. And we value almost narcissism over anything else in our culture today. It's like, what can you do for yourself, by yourself, on your own, for you? And we get rewarded for that. We get rewarded if we can be uh, productive on our own, work from home, create something, entrepreneurship. Like we love the lone wolf mentality, although it's not healthy for me, but that's kind of what we reward in our culture. And to be mindful of how that energy works, if that's good for you, like people working from home in Canada, in the US for like the last, over the last year, we were all psyched about it. We're like, woo, pajamas, you get to type and you just on Zoom, who cares? And there's so many videos of people like bringing their laptops in the bathroom by accident. Like, oh my God, it's so good. But people really needing to pay attention to, holy geez, Look at this like different flow of excitement from start of the pandemic and it was cool and now like things really closed and locked down and things opened again, new normal. I'm anxious now about things opening up again. I was getting used to this and it's coming back down. Like I think to know your energy in the course of a day as you're talking about, but then you can look at it in a course of like seasons even. Like how connected we are to even the the weather and our environments and our coworkers and our jobs, the relationships we have with our phones and computers, which is what I talk about to kids, is like this kind of relationship and the energy we put into things and the energy that things suck out of us, it's so good to, like if anything, mindfulness does that. It just creates that awareness of where my energy is going when I'm listening non-judgmentally and accepting of what my body's doing i love that man I f- we can definitely talk forever we're gonna have you back on uh last question because uh, i always imagine there's one person listening in who's on a cusp of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them I'd first offer to listen 
and just say, talk to me, brother or sister. Like I'm here, whatever you want to say. I don't care what comes out of your mouth. If it, I don't care what you say, I will listen wholeheartedly and not judge anything. Whatever is going on in your mind, whatever you're thinking about, let me know. Because I've been there. And I can't understand your situation fully. I can't understand what you're going through fully because I'm unique in my experiences. You're unique in yours. But try me. Try me. And again, I would just offer to walk with them. I'd say, I don't want to change you. I don't want to fix anything. Let's just go for a walk. Let's just walk together. Not yet. Don't do it yet. Let's just walk together. Um, I always used to think depression robs you of your future, right? Your future is gone. Your future is black. It's the blackness of future. That's what I said in my TED talk. And people don't see a future. You see your future as your present, which is depression. So why would you continue to live if everything in your future is going to be black? And people can't believe that if I would tell them it won't last forever, you'll be happy again. You don't, you can't believe it. You can't believe when people say that, but you don't have to believe it. You just got to trust the person that tells you the person that's been there wanting to end it all, wanting, thinking that death would be easier. Of course it would be. The pain would go away. You just, you can't believe what you think. You can't believe what anybody says that it'll go away. No, no, no. Just, just trust, just trust me. It's going to be okay. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. It's going to be okay. And I I know I said that was the last question, but I have one more question. Yeah. What are you looking forward to, Scott? Oh, man. I'm looking forward to traveling uh, in some warm and humid weather uh, once the world or Canada allows us to leave and come back. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to, I'm, I'm still not full, um, fully working at the moment. I'm still like at like 40%. Uh, the nerves can't take too much. Like just this podcast is pretty exhausting in a very good way. I'm going to sleep like a baby, but it's a lot. So, uh, I'm not going to go back to work fully and I'd like to work remote in different countries, travel, see the world, meet people. I'm really looking forward to that. As you get off medication, in my experience, uh, you, I, I explained it as you're, I'm seeing the world again for the first time. It's unbelievable. Like the sensitivity, the beauty of a freaking leaf outside my tree is enough to just blow my mind in the most beautiful way possible. So I want to see the world through this new lens. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. And I'm scared and fearful and excited all at the same time. I love it. Thank you so much, Scott St. Marie. Not Mary, not Mary. <laughs> Scott St. Marie. Uh, thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you seeking help for you calling 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK, or the other international phone numbers that are listed for the suicide hotlines in all of the show notes. If you're in Canada, Sri Lanka, Bali, wherever you are, there is an international phone number listed for you. 
you can talk, you can chat, you can text. There are online groups, there are safety plans, there are groups that will help you pay for your, uh, your mental health uh, needs. So the only, only thing you got to do is make the first step, baby. Just make that first step, you know. Call, call me, call Scott. We'll walk with you. We'll walk with you to pick up that phone. You know, when you're, when, you're in, when, you're, when you're down in the dumps, that phone feels like it's 5,000 pounds. I understand. So, but you got to make that first step, whether it's calling me, calling Scott, calling somebody. Uh, and then Scott's information will be linked in the show notes. Also, if you want to reach out to him, uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you.